Ephesians 5.18 says to not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's fascinating. I'm going to make three points. Number one, both of these are experiential. Number two, there are clear evidences or effects or fruits of each of these. And number three, Paul's implying that either of these are available as an option. Number one, they're both experiential. To pursue being drunk with wine is because a person wants either pleasure or they want comfort. They want kind of an anesthesia, an anesthetic, a pain-relieving experience. But in either case, a person drinks wine either for pleasure or for comfort to alter their state of consciousness. It is an experience. And Paul's implying that instead of pursuing wine as your self-medicating formula, pursue the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is pleasurable and brings comfort. The Holy Spirit brings joy and brings uh, an altered state of consciousness. That's point number one. Both of these are experiential. Number two, the effects. To come under the influence, to be said to be under the influence of alcohol, means that your senses, your perception of reality is changed. You're in an altered state of consciousness. You walk differently. You dance more boldly. You have less inhibitions. You might speak to strangers and tell them, hey, man, I love you. You might have uh, less inhibitions in terms of speaking to the opposite sex or doing things that normally you would be a little more embarrassed to do. You sing more loudly. You tell people what you really think with no hesitation. The phrase goes, in vino veritas, in wine, truth. You can tell by how someone walks and by how someone talks that they are under the influence. But it's not all positive, but it also diminishes discernment and wisdom and appropriate caution. You can make terrible decisions, getting into fights you shouldn't get into, or indulging in carnal pleasures that are destructive and have long-term consequences to short-term pleasure. It's not all positive. To be under the influence of the Holy Spirit also similarly changes one's perception of reality, changes the way one's speech uh, happens, changes the volume of one's voice. You might sing louder. You might dance with less inhibitions. You might randomly grab a stranger and say, hey, man, I love you. (laughs) You might have less inhibitions and more boldness. And while it does alter your state of consciousness, instead of less wisdom, it actually heightens your senses. It increases your discernment. It makes you more peaceable, less prone to fits of anger and brawls, and less likely to get into decisions of short-term pleasure and long-term pain, but more likely to tell your short-term pleasure center, hey, no, that's stupid, and keep in view the long-term benefit. It doesn't just bring a short-term comfort. It does bring a short-term comfort, but it also brings long-term wisdom. And in both cases, the effects, as you can tell by how someone walks and talks, whether they're, whether they're under the influence of wine, and you can tell by how someone walks and how someone talks, whether they are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Third point, availability. Paul takes for granted that you have the choice, that you can go to the store and you can purchase alcohol and you can consume it. 
Paul takes for granted that you, if you're a believer, that you freely have given, because Jesus made these promises in the book of Revelation, it's very clear, come to me, Jesus, and drink, and whoever's thirsty, I will give him the water of life. Paul's implying that the Spirit is as available, and God is not withholding his Spirit from those who believe in Jesus who are thirsty. In another place, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, to stir up like the embers of a fire, fan into flames the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands, that now that the Spirit is in the believer and how we choose, what we choose to put our focus on will flame up that Spirit. What we choose to do with our heart's openness to Him will cause that Spirit either to flame up or die down. But He's always present, waiting, willing, and available. Or as James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Part of the reason I think these weekend events where people go to a church service and they sing Friday and they preach Friday and then Saturday they have all day meetings and Sunday they have meetings and they finally come home and they're like, ah, and they're so in love with Jesus. The sky looks beautiful and the sunsets are radiant and they hear the birds singing and they want to hug and kiss their wife and they feel so much hope for their future and they're like, no, we can do this thing and they're like viewing it as an opportunity to rise and shine. And what made the difference? Was it that there was more God in that other play, that other church, or that other building, or that with those special people? All it was was they turned their intention and their spirit to the Lord who's always with them in their daily life. The only difference in that weekend was that they gave him their attention for an extended period of time, and it caused the spirit of God, the gift of God that's in them, to, to flame up. It's the gift of God that is in them getting flamed up because of an increased lengthy look at Jesus. So availability. Some people's Christianity is turning from a pursuit of fulfillment and comfort and hope and an altered state of consciousness, which they had before Christ through drugs or alcohol or adventure-seeking, to turn to from all that seeking satisfaction and pleasure to instead seeking austerity and morality because they found that that led to destruction. And so, they all, so what they've tried to figure out how to do is turn their heart off, turn their need off, turn their desire off, their desire for pleasure off, their desire for experience off, their desire for hope, their desire for peace, their desire for adventure and joy, all the experiential stuff. They just try to turn it off because it led to bad stuff. And we're just going to follow Jesus. And apparently it's like a book of rules. That's broken. That's wrong. Psalm 16 says, in your presence, God, is fullness of joy. So that like shows you how much of the experiential of overflowing exhilaration is in God. The fullness. He is the ultimate experience. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. So this, this thing of seeking adventure and joy and pleasure and experience and comfort and all this. And then we got to turn it off. It's broke. It's wrong. In fact... God doesn't just want you to serve and obey him. He actually wants you to enjoy him. You only actually glorify God to the extent that you are delighted in him, that you are satisfied in him, that you are taking pleasure in him, that you are enjoying him, that you are drinking him deeply like you do a lover when you're in first love. That's what God wants to give to your life. It's not a choice between pursuing heart fulfillment 
and then morality and austerity and doing the right thing. No, no, he's the true buffet of pleasures and adventure and joy and love and altered states of consciousness in his goodness. He invented ecstasy. So crazy. Like, why would the God who invented sex and music and poetry and romance and sunsets and art and language and beauty and goodness be like, whatever you do, don't have too much fun. Like Jesus was the life of the party. So do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just a little verse that's telling people, hey, now do the rules. It's saying, you know that's a counterfeit, right? Go, go for the real. <laughs> go for the real.